This is going to be a great message. Satan's already trying to get into it, right? We're going to figure this out. We're going to get started. Good morning, church. My name is Kendrick. I'm the pastor here at Calvary Church. I'm one of the pastors. I see Pastor Tim back there. Sorry. One of the pastors here at Calvary Church. It's great to have you in worship this morning. We're going to continue our walk through uh, John together. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open it. We're going to be looking at John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Um, We're also going to be looking at Zechariah. He's one of the minor prophets. It's the second to last book of the Old Testament. So if you go ahead and open up to Matthew, turn back a couple pages, we'll be in Zechariah. Just mark that. We're going to come to that a little bit later. But as I said, we're going to start off in John chapter 7. This is, uh, man, this is a great chapter. This is one of my favorite chapters uh, to talk about, to preach. It makes us answer one of the most important questions questions in our entire life. In this, in this passage, John confronts you with the question, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe or do you not believe? Right? And that is a question that we need to ask. Do we believe that he is the Son of God and do we trust him as the Messiah? Will we follow him as Lord? That is a question that we have to answer. And as we go through this passage today, I want you to begin to think about what you believe about Jesus. Whether you've been following him for years, whether you've been following him for less than a year, whether you are confident in your beliefs that Jesus is something less than the Christ, right? Maybe you're like, hey, Jesus is a great teacher. Hey, Jesus is a a good man. He had good morals. Whatever it is, I want you to think about what you think about Christ. And no matter what you think about, pay attention today to what Jesus says about himself, Right? Think about what Jesus says. And I want you to be thinking about that. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. At the end of this chapter, there's some division. People are split up into groups. And, and it's really important for you to know which group you fall into. So as we're going through this, just be thinking about that. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in. We're going to get into chapter 7, verse 1. John, chapter 7, verse 1. It says, after this, Jesus went about Galilee. He He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booth was at hand. So we did chapter 6 last week and now we jump into chapter 7 and in this gospel we've moved forward a little bit. Jesus has been in Galilee for about a year. At this point, six months ago, he fed the 5,000, he walked on water, he did his teaching in the synagogue, but now we're six months later. And we're talking about this Feast of Booths. And something we, we need to pay attention as we read through John is John is not as concerned about chronological order as we might want him to be. Where we want it just to be laid out, minute one, minute two, minute three. John doesn't really do that. He focuses on signs. He focuses on events. He focuses on some of Jesus' teaching. And there's even some theologians that argue that what John did is he actually takes Jesus' life And he shares Jesus and he shares his stories with the reader through the the big holidays in the Jewish calendar. And so he will take these big holidays that the Jews celebrate and the author John says this is how these holidays point that Jesus is the Messiah. And as we read in these first few verses, Jesus will be heading down to Judea. It's down south. It's for the Feast of Booths. This is a major uh, a Jewish holiday. It's known by several names. It's known as the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Ingathering, or, the, or Sukkot, 
which is the, the Jewish word for booths or huts. All right, so this feast was in September or October. It was towards the end of the harvest season. And this feast, this celebration, really had two purposes. The first one was to remember how God provided for them during their 40 years in the wilderness. Right? When they were out there and they, they fled Egypt, it was called the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths because when they were in the wilderness, they lived in these little huts. They lived in these little tabernacles. And for this feast, the, the Jewish families that came from out of town, they would actually build these little huts on the side of the roads and they would live in those for the eight days of this celebration. If you were a resident of Jerusalem, you would still take the, 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 the branches and the leaves and on top of your house you would build a little hut and that's where you would stay during this celebration. And it was to be reminded of God's provision during the 40 years in the desert. But the feast also served another purpose. Is it provided hope for the Jewish people as they looked forward to the future, the grand feast of tabernacle. Right? This is when all of God's people will be gathered together and they will be worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords together as his people. And as I said before, this is one of the major feasts in the Jewish holiday. It was one of three feasts or celebrations where all the Jewish men especially, but families, were required to make the trip to Jerusalem to celebrate. And so here we have all these people going, men are leaving, and we pick up in verse 3, and it says, so his brothers said to him, so this is Jesus' brothers, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going to go to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. In verse 10, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but private. And before we move on, there's a couple things I just want to point out on this. And the, the first one, it's often debated that at this point, Jesus' brothers knew he was the Messiah. So some people say he knew and some people say he didn't know. I'm going to give you a secret in Bible reading and how to study the Bible. If you're not sure of something, keep reading. In verse 5, Scripture tells us the brothers did not believe in him. Right? The, the brothers do not believe he is the Messiah. They do not believe he is the Christ at this time. Right? His brothers are not encouraging him to reveal his true identity. Saying, hey man, go tell everybody you're the Messiah. This is the time. They're not doing that. You know what his brothers are doing? They're taunting him. Right? They're, they're making fun of him. If you have brothers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? If you have brothers. Let me give you an example for those of you who don't have brothers because I got a whole bunch. Have you, ever, have you ever stared at the sun, and then when you look away, you've got that blue dot, right? You can't see. It's like this big ball. It's kind of fuzzy. That's going to be annoying. Um, yep. <laughs> um, I can't because, hey, we're glad you're worshiping with us online. We'd love to see you. Uh, <laughs> but when you, look at, um, when you look at a sun, you've got that big blue dot. You guys are familiar with that. You know what I'm talking about. You can't see. Okay, so... 
My older brother, so yes, I was younger, my older brother saw that blue dot and thought it was a message from his parents that lived on the sun. Right? My, this is kind of embarrassing, but it's true. My brother thought he was from the sun. So I, every chance I got, I would make fun of him. Right? I would taunt him and say, hey, when are you going back home? Hey, I have a science project due. Can your parents come and help me with this project? Right? Even at his wedding, I wasn't able to attend. I was deployed. I was the best man in my speech that somebody else read. I referenced something about it being too bad that his real parents couldn't be there for his wedding. Right? That is taunting. And that is exactly what I believe is going on here. For about a year, Jesus has been in his home region of Galilee, and he's telling people about that he is the promised Messiah, right? That he is the bread of life, as we talked about last week. They've heard his teaching. They've probably seen some of his miracles, whether it was the feeding of the 5,000, whether it was walking on sea, whether it was healing somebody. But they still do not believe that he is the promised Messiah. They think he's crazy, right? This taunt that they do suggests that if, hey, hey, brother man, If you're the real Messiah, go tell everybody, right? Let's let the cat out of the bag. You've been telling people for a year that you're the Messiah. Prove it to us. What better place to show everybody than the Feast of Booths? Everybody will be there. Maybe you can flip some more tables, right? Get some more attention. You can really show them that you're the Messiah. This is the time to do it. And you can almost see them shaking their heads as they talk to each other. Man, Jesus is crazy. Right? Jesus is a, a lunatic. I mean, this, that's exactly what I told people when my brother said he was from the sun. Man, I, I won't say his name. He's crazy. And Jesus' brother's comments in this passage come from a place of disbelief. They had a fundamental misunderstanding of Jesus' messianic identity and his purpose. Right, as the prophets Isaiah and Zechariah told us, and even King David foretold that the Messiah, that the Christ, his glory would come through suffering, not some spectacular fireworks show. Second thing I want to address here is that Jesus didn't lie. Right? Jesus denies their invitation to travel with him, and as Jesus often does with people that confront him, that have disbelief, that have hard hearts, he responds with a spiritual response that most of the time goes right over their heads, right? It goes unnoticed by their hearts. And Jesus responds with, I am not going, it is not my time, right? In every instance in this passage, in every instance in John, except this one, Jesus uses this Greek word aura, it's hour, it's like specific time, like what time is it? It's 11 o'clock and it's talking about the hour, But in this case, he uses kairos. And that's like a season, right? It means a season. In secular century Greek literature, this this term was used to indicate a decisive moment in history in which a new era begins, right? A new era gives way from an old one to a new one. For example, the, the moment our first son Isaac was born, our lives were changed forever. On that day, at that moment, We entered a new time. We entered a new season in our lives. So Jesus is not saying I'm not going to the festival. He he didn't lie. The the Greek tense that he uses is a presence tense, meaning I am not going now. In some Bible translations, you will see it says I am not going yet. And what Jesus 
told his brothers, if they were listening, was the day is coming when the world will see my glory, but that's not today. That's not this season. That's not this time. And Jesus knew the hearts of men, and he knew the hearts of his brothers. He knew that they thought he was crazy. And as I read this passage, I wonder if his younger brother James was sitting there. And I wonder if he knows how James is taunting him. And Jesus could just look over at him and smirk, knowing that one day James, his younger brother, would call himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he would know, I know you don't believe now, but there will be one day when you will see my glory. Jesus knew that they might think that he is crazy, but one day they will not only see his glory, they will know his full glory. So as we continue in this passage, we pick up in verse 11. Uh, Jesus heads to Jerusalem to attend the Feast of Booths. And the Jews were looking for him at this feast and saying, where is he? And there are much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. And so we see in this passage that the word of Jesus' arrival is is starting to circulate. It's starting to get around. People are noticing, hey, this guy, right, this guy who has already come down here and caused trouble, this guy who's been up in Galilee telling people he's the bread of life, telling people he's the Messiah, he is showing up, and we see that they mutter, they grumble, they whisper. And in chapter 6, we see that the same word was used to, to communicate this sense of disbelief. They didn't believe him in these things. Is he a good man? Is he a good teacher? Is he a heretic? Right? Is he leading people astray? Who, who is this guy? But then scripture tells us that about on the third or fourth day, so about the middle of this feast, Jesus goes to the temple and he teaches. In verse 14, says, About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And the Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keep the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. And some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. 
I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him, and they said, what, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? We're going to highlight some of these things that Jesus talks about in this teaching. Right away in this teaching, Jesus exposes the hearts of the Jewish leaders. Right, Their inability to recognize him and where he comes from. In verse 17, their decision not to do God's will. Here we see the godly leaders, the religious leaders, and they are making a decision not to do God's will. And then in verses 21 through 24, they, they so misunderstood God's law that they're not only able to make human judgments based on human perspectives. They don't understand God. They don't know the God. They don't know the, the God of the universe, the Lord of lords, and so they can only make judgments based on their own perspectives. Right? The idea that cutting a piece of skin is more significant than healing a person. And in three, their claim to know God and to follow God was false. If you look at 28 and 29, they don't know God and they're not following God. And as Jesus is exposing the hearts of his opponents, they have one answer, one response, liar. Right? Jesus is a liar. That is their only response. However, Jesus responds in this conversation and he reveals who he is. He reveals that he is the Christ and that he is doing God's will, and he does this by contrasting his integrity, his absolute integrity to their world behavior. We see that Jesus, in verse 18, he seeks God's honor, not his own honor. We see that Jesus fulfills God's law by the whole person, right, in anticipation of the Sabbath, in anticipation of the rest that God provides. In verse 29, he knows God because he is sent by God. Right? He knows God and he is obedient to God's will. He is doing God's will. And Jesus' teaching has continued to be met with hostility, confusion. But in verse 31 we see a glimmer of hope. It's also met with faith. The people began to believe. They hear Jesus' teaching and they believe. But... As we pick up in verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priest and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? You will seek me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come. And we see that as Jesus continues to teach, his enemies, his opponents, they get bolder, they get louder. And what does Jesus do? Same thing he did last week. He leans into it. He keeps chest thumping them, right? He keeps opening up their chest and exposing their hearts to everybody that will listen. And he warns them that there is a time that is coming that they will no longer be able to find him. He warns that there is a time that is coming that they will no longer be able to accept his offer of eternal life. 
His glory is not only because he comes from the Father. Right? His glory is that he is going to return to the Father. That he will come, that he will be resurrected, he will return to the Father. He will ascend into the heavens. But the Jews continue to remain ignorant of what Jesus is saying. They continue to, to miss the whole point. And as we continue, you see their questions in verse 35 and 36. Right? They're now becoming more hostile. Right? They're discounting everything that he says, that there's nothing that he has says. He is a liar and he needs, needs to be silenced. And now the Jews are taking these active steps to arrest him. And as you read through this passage, you see the tension building. Something is going to give way. We are building tension. The, the Jews, the religious leaders, are really upset with Jesus. We see several times that they are sending people to try and arrest him. But as we start to look at verse 37, notice that some time has passed. Right? This was on day three or four. But now it says we're entering the last day of the Feast of Booths. So we moved into day eight. And that tension is there. And people are still saying, who is this guy? Why is this guy crazy? Why is this guy lying? He is deceiving. He's leading people astray. But we cannot overlook that he is in the last day. This is very, very significant to what Jesus says. This time and place where Jesus makes his final uh, uh, address, where he uh, proclaims, where he cries out to the crowd, it's the last day of the feast. Who knows why that's significant? Good, then you'll learn something. Right? In the, in the second temple period, so this is after the, the Babylonian ex, uh, exile, around 500 B.C., there was a tradition that started to happen, started to take place during the Feast of the Booths. And it was this water ceremony. And during the Feast of the Booths, the, the, the priest, what they would end up doing in the ceremony is they would go down to the Pool of Siloam and they would draw water. And then as they walked back to the temple, there would be a huge celebration, a time of joy, and, and you would be singing. They, they believed they were singing a passage from Isaiah 12. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And the, the people gathered at the, at the entry, the people gathered inside the temple were singing these praises. They were blowing those shofars. I don't have one, and it's a good thing because I can't make them do what they're supposed to. But they blow these beautiful horns, and it was this time of celebration. Right? According to the Talmud, right, the ancient Jewish writings, they say, he who has not seen the rejoicing at the place of the water drawing has never seen rejoicing in his life. And so they would do this every day. and They would march the water and then they would put this water next to the temple and they would have their celebrations and they would do their sacrifices. And then at the end of the day, the priest would take that water And there was a water pouring ceremony. He would take that water and he would pour it out on the altar. And it was this huge celebration event. It was really the the like climax of every day. It was the pouring out of this water. And they did this each night of this festival. Now the the water commemorated the Lord's provision in the desert. We talked about this earlier. They were in the desert for 40 years. The water came out of the rock. And so this celebration of drawing that water was to remember what God had done in the wilderness. But what would happen is once they brought it into the temple and they would take that water, they would add wine to that water. And that was to symbolize joy and celebration. And it would sit on the temple. And then at the end of the day when they poured it out, 
That was to speak of the future, the grand feast of booths that was going to come. The final feast of booths when all of God's people were joined together and all of God's people were worshiping God together. And so this was the huge celebration, the time that they would look forward to, the time that they would celebrate, the time that they would pray and worship. And it was the drawing and the pouring of the water. If you turn to Zechariah 14, he speaks. Zechariah, he, he prophesies about this time. Zechariah says this in, in verse uh, 8, excuse me, verse 6 of 14. On that day there shall be no light, cold or frost, and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Galab to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hanel to the king's winepress. And it shall be inhabited for there. There shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. And so we see Zechariah saying, this is what's going to happen. We're going to gather. We're going to be safe. Now Zechariah is a prophet, so of course he has to go on and list all the things that happen to those that don't believe. And then you get to verse 16, and he says this, Then everyone who survives all of the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. And so this pouring out of water speaks of that time. It is so excited to to know that there's going to be a time when we will be safe, when we will be secure. We'll be together forever as we worship the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, as we worship the one and only God. That will be a glorious day. Like if you're ever going to say amen, that is what should be in your mind. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you've committed to, to following Jesus, it is that hope. It gives us joy in our life every single minute. And each full day of this Feast of Booths, priests would carry on this tradition. They would gather the water. They would pour out the water. And they're remembering what God had done in the past. But they were also expecting that God was going to rescue them in the future. Every day they did this. Draw the water. Pour out the water. Draw the water. Pour out the water. They did this on every day except for one day. They didn't do it on the last day. There's also something else. Every day they would sacrifice 70 sacrifices. And the 70 sacrifices, they represented the 70 nations. At that time, that was for all of humanity. That was how they represented that. So for all, every day they would do these 70 sacrifices. And it was their sacrifices, again, representing all of humanity. But guess what? They didn't do that on the last day. So on the last day, they didn't draw and pour out water. On the last day, they didn't do 70 sacrifices. They did one sacrifice. They actually did two. They had a lamb and a young bull. And they would take them and they would sacrifice this one animal, and, or these two animals at this one sacrifice, and that would represent their unique relationship with God. They were representing themselves, that we are God's people. And they would make this sacrifice to God, this one thing. And they would gather and pray together and worship together. Right? They would pray for that outpouring of the water 
Right, the water that they'd done the previous week as they watched it, now they would pray and say, hey, we are praying in celebration that that water would come and that living water would flow not only from Jerusalem but through us to the ends of the world and that it would protect his people and unite his people in worship. This was a great celebration of the hope that was to come. And it's on this day Right? It's on this day when these people are gathered for this final worship, when they're gathered to pray and to worship the filling of the, God's power coming through and in them. When they're praying for that one sacrifice that unites us as God's people. It's there that scripture tells us on the last day of the feast, that great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Right? He didn't nudge the guy next to him. He didn't say, hey, hey disciple, Joe, this is a secret. No, it says here, Jesus cries out, if anyone is thirst." Let him come to me and drink. Right? Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of, of living water. So picture that for a minute. Everybody there is gathered and praying and worshiping. They're praying for the flow of water that is coming from God. They're praying for the, the Spirit. And as they're worshiping and praying, Jesus says, hey guys, that's me. That's me. That's who I am. It's crazy to say Jesus never claimed to be God. Here, in front of everything that's going on, he says, that is me. It was on this day that Jesus prophesied that he would pour out the Holy Spirit on those who believe in him. And the Spirit would become rivers of living water flowing in them. It's in this moment that Jesus declares he is the living water. He is the source of life. And when you come to him and when you drink of him, Hey, remember what we learned last week. Man, we're not talking drink like a little sip and trying to be polite. We're talking about chugging Jesus, right? We are taking the bottle, putting it above our head, and letting him fill us with who he is. Right? We are relying on him. We are trusting in him. We are giving him all that we have. And it is then when we do that that we reserve a spot at that final feast, and he will flow through us. He will come out of us. He will be in our words. He will direct our actions. He will be present in everything that we say and everything that we do. Right? We said, man, Jesus, please, I just want you to be in my words and deeds. Right? I want to re reflect you to my community. I want to reflect you in my life. Be in my words and deeds. And it's he that will be present in our words and deeds. And when he spoke these words, what happened? There was division. We see that there was division in the people that heard. It's in this moment he declares that he is the, the one sacrifice that will make you right with God. You want something unique, it's me. It's me, I am the Messiah. And when the crowds heard him speak this, when the crowds see him in the middle of their worship, look what scripture tells us. And when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? He, has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and said to him, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, no one has ever spoke like that man. And the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the priests believed in him? But the crowd does not know the, that does not know the law is accursed. And Nicodemus, remember from chapter three, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, 
and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied to him, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Right, and we can look through kings. We can see that there are <laughs> prophets that come from Galilee, but we're not going to let that distract us. Right, we're going to notice that the, the people responded to Jesus' teaching in a wide variety of ways. As we look, we see that people are divided. There was different responses. Some were confused. Some were amazed. Some believed. Some didn't. Some are still wrestling with the claims that Jesus made. Right, is he the promised Messiah? Is he a teacher? Is he a prophet? And when we start to think about it, it's not different in our world today. Right, everybody has an opinion about Jesus. Everybody has a different response to Jesus. They hear his teaching. And we always want to know what other people believe. We always want to know what other people think. But the most important response in the world is how you respond. Right? How do you, how do you respond to Jesus' teaching? Like just, just for a minute, stop thinking about other people. This is when it's okay to be selfish for just a second. Stop thinking about other people. Think about yourself. And when you hear Jesus teaching do you believe it or not right what do you think about Jesus do you believe that he's only a prophet do you believe that he's only a a good teacher I want to be really clear if that's what you believe he is that means you don't believe who he claims to be that means you don't believe Jesus you don't believe that he is the living water the source of life the the son of God somehow And this is really dangerous territory. Somehow you believe that you have authority over Jesus and you can pick what he says is true and what he says is not true. That means you do not believe in Jesus. You have put Jesus into your little box and you said, I'm going to create a God and he's going to be just like I want and he's going to do what I say. So I will tell you what is true and what is not true, what Jesus says. And John makes this really clear in this passage of what Jesus says. John makes it really clear as we read this passage, we really have two options. We either believe Jesus or we don't. We either believe Jesus is the Messiah or he isn't. There is no kind of. There is no, well, I'm going to do a smorgasbord of Jesus' teaching and this is I like, this doesn't offend me, this is what I'm going to do. We don't have that option. The truth is you believe Jesus or you don't. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. You either believe he is the way and the truth and life or you don't. You either believe he is the things that he says he is, or you don't, right? And here's the thing. If he's not who he says he is, he's crazy, right? If he's not who he says he is, he's a, he's a lunatic. He's a crazy man. C.S. Lewis said that if he's not who he says he is, he's on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil himself. So think about that for a minute. When you say, Yeah, I think Jesus is a good teacher, but I don't believe he's a Messiah. Um, You believe you're going to go follow a poached egg. That's kind of weird. That makes you crazy, kind of. Right? Like, like, my brother thought he was from the sun. That makes him nuts. That's, That's false. And we're taking this guy that we don't believe, but we will say he has good teachings even though they're crazy. And as Christians, we really, really have to look at that. Jesus' claim to be Christ, that was the claim that he made. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. 
And 2,000 years ago when he made that claim, it was met with a variety of responses. And that claim that we still talk about today is going to be met with a variety of responses until what? The final feast, right? Until that final day. And then we will all know that he is the Messiah. But again, when we look at the responses that are made, just for a moment, look at your response. Ask yourself, do I believe what Jesus says? And it's not, I believe half of it or some of it. I either believe Jesus or I don't. That's all you gotta ask. Do I believe Jesus 100% or do I believe him less than that? How do you respond to Jesus' message? Do you respond with disbelief? Do you respond with doubt? Do you respond with debate? Right? Like, well, I kind of believe this, but I'm not sure. I don't want to. Um, I don't think. Right? I've had this talk. I, I, nobody else has ever been resurrected, so I don't believe Jesus was. That's kind of what makes Jesus special, right? Right? That Jesus was able to raise himself from the dead. That is an important part of him being the Christ, of him being the Messiah. So the, the question is, is, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Or do you not believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah or do you not believe? And I know that there are people in this room that have never answered that question. I know that there are people in this question who have never answered that question. Somehow we have this idea that if I don't answer it, I don't have to deal with it. That's not true. That's not what the scripture says. Jesus just told us just in this passage, there's going to be a time. When you won't find him anymore. There's going to be a time when you won't be able to accept his offer of life anymore. And I don't know when that is. But that is a question that you need to ask yourself today. Do I believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do I believe that Jesus is the giver of life? Do I believe that Jesus is the living water that will flow through me? Or do I not? And here's what's cool about this, right? If you believe that, There is a joy in your life that nothing will ever take away and nothing will ever replace. There is a joy in knowing your Savior. There's a joy in knowing that you've got a spot at the table. Right? There's a a spot and it has a little placard on it. It says Kendrick Neal. I'm going to say, I hope my wife sits next to me, but I don't know. I don't get to pick the arrangements. But there's going to be a a spot there. And I don't know who it will be, but I'm sure it's going to be the perfect person because God has laid this out and he has planned this. Right? I'm going to be able to participate in the final, in the ongoing, in, in the Feast of Booth with all my brothers and sisters as we worship Christ forever and ever and all eternity. Gosh, man. There's a joy in our hearts that we should be able to put our finger on. And then there's some other people who say, I, I haven't done that. Well, this is a good news. Is Jesus offers you that invitation. That Jesus is giving you that invitation this morning. You don't have to wait for something special. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never recognized Christ as the Messiah and the Lord and Savior, you can do that. And guess what? I want to celebrate with you. I know Tim wants to celebrate with you. I know a church family. And if that's something you've never done that you're doing this morning, I want to encourage you. If you're here, if you're in this worship center, come see me and let's talk about it and let's celebrate that together. If you're online, send an email or do whatever the online stuff is. Social media, Tim will check it. And um, man, we want to celebrate with you. But here's the other thing. And we're still, why don't you guys come on up, man? Here's the other thing. If you have done that, if you know you've got a spot at the table, man, we should be living every day with the hope of Jesus in our hearts. Right? This song that we sang this morning, I think we're singing it right now, we talk about the glorious day. 
Right? That is the, the anthem in our hearts when we believe that Jesus is the Christ. Church, today, right, today, people always want to know, what's the action step? What's the application point to a sermon? You ready for this? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Right? There's nothing more important that you will do your entire life except for believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Dear Father, we just thank you for your words. We thank you for the scripture that we get to go through. We thank you for the son that came from you that you sent to die on the cross, to take away our sins, to give us life so that one day, Lord, we could gather at that table on that glorious day and worship you for all of eternity. Lord, may our hearts as we leave here today be filled with the joy of knowing you. Lord, we love you. We thank you, and it's in your son's gracious name of Jesus that we ask these things. And all of God's people said, amen.